Uh, Galatians chapter 6, and we'll start reading with verse 1. And if you could, when you get to Galatians 6, 1, if you would, please stand to pay reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, we're going to be covering... Uh, we got some kids coming. I'll go ahead and let them come in. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> Yeah, good job, baby. Yay. Yeah, that looks good. Go show your mom. Mama! <laughs> go, on, go show her up there, baby. This is pretty. You want to close the door? All right. Don't lock no. it. Don't lock yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Looks like they're having fun back here, Beth. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 the word of God says this it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ for if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing he deceiveth himself dear heavenly father lord we uh, thank you for letting us come together here this morning. We thank you for the scripture, Lord, that you've used, Lord Father, uh, throughout this uh, last couple of months. And Lord, I pray uh, that we've grown closer to you, Lord. I pray that we've uh, understood the scripture, Lord, that we've applied it to our lives uh, as a church, Lord Father. I hope that we've grown uh, spiritually to walk closer to you. We, we thank you for your son, uh, Jesus, that died on the cross for us. I thank you for uh, that place, that, that death that was in my place, Lord. I thank you for the love that you've given me and given to my family, and given to this church, and even to this community, Lord. And I pray that we'll continue to always look to you for help and guidance. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. You can be uh, seated this morning. Now, we're going to probably go through verse 10 this morning, but we just read those first three, and we want to think a little bit about what's uh, been going on in the Scripture. We know that uh, we've seen quite a few things with the book of Galatians. It focuses on legalism. It ends a little bit with the legalism uh, with next Sunday's message probably. But uh, we see last week we sort of went through some of the things that Paul starts addressing. Hey, we know that we're free from bondage, uh, but y'all don't need to be acting like fools. <laughs> That's pretty much what he's telling the church. Don't act like a bunch of goofballs. Don't do these things. It lists off so many. And then we get to uh, the end of that. And it gives us the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives us the nine different things that are the fruit of the Spirit that we should have in our lives, and we understood how that works. But he talks about all these things, and if we back all the way up to how we started the letter to the book of, in the book of Galatians, he really drummed home and went directly to their problem. Like Unlike any of the other books, Paul very short-changely goes right into the issues that goes on with the, with the Galatians. And uh, I kind of see uh, Paul wrote this letter in sort of a, he's angry, uh, he's annoyed, he's agitated. And he goes through, he writes all these things, but throughout the book, we, we, we have an eight, this is the eighth time in, in this particular letter that Paul wrote, he writes, brethren. That's how he begins the chapter, or he doesn't write chapters, we broke, we broke it out in chapters, but he says brethren for the eighth time at the beginning of the book of Galatians chapter 6. Now, what I, what I see there, we see him saying, brethren, if you go to the very end of this chapter, one of the, very la the very last word is brethren or brothers. And throughout the thought process of him writing to the Galatian church, 
They may have gotten out of step. They may have gotten out of line. They may have made mistakes. But they're still his brother. They're still his brothers and sisters. They are still side by side. They are still uh, Christians. They're still saved. They're still trusting in the cross of Jesus. Even though they had issues. And I want the church to know today that even though we may have issues, we may not always agree. And uh, you may not always like what's going on or what I say or what I do. I still love you. And I hope that you still love me. Paul emphasizes this over and over again to the church. Brethren, brethren, if I can say it to you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, I, I love y'all. You're still my brothers and sisters, no matter how we agree or how we disagree, I still love y'all. And that's what the way Paul is trying to write this. And he starts it off that way once again in chapter 6. And it says, if someone is caught in a sin, that's at verse 1, uh, there's some controversy uh, to how we need to understand this particular verse of Scripture. Uh, some say this is referring to being caught by the sin. The sin has, has found you out. And some people uh, are saying that, well, this is uh, being caught by the church. The church has caught you uh, doing something in a sin. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, if you've been caught or the sin has found you out. Uh, rather than uh, us gloating that somebody has been caught in a sin, uh, a Christian should what? Christians should rush and help them. Is what he's trying to say. If you are caught in a sin, we should not secretly gloat and say, Oh, uh, everything's going to go horrible. This is not, not going to work. I can't believe they went back to this. Uh, we should go to them and help them. So many times the church abandons people that need help. They're in the middle of a, of a horrible time, in the middle of a mess up. If we go back a chapter, they've done one of the 15 things in, in the previous chapter. They've slept up, they've made a mistake, and the church, we don't want any part of this. I've seen it. You might have seen it. I don't know how, how, how much you've seen in church, but that happens. Somebody makes a mistake and the church says, whoa, we can't have none of that. We don't need that in our lives. We don't need that in our church. And it does not mean uh, that <laughs> in so many ways that it's okay as long as you don't get caught. <laughs> That's not what he's trying to say. Uh, the Bible teaches in verse 7 that you'll reap a harvest for the sin whether the church knows it or not. So how else can we refer to this? It says those who are spiritual to restore them. Though if you don't know it, how, about, what if you don't know about it? The word sin that is uh, translated here is, I'm not real good with Greek, but uh, paraptimo, which means to fall to the side, which means to stumble, which means to obviously make a mistake. This is picturing of one's foot falling off a path into forbidden territory. Your, people have sinned, they've stepped off a path, they've made a mistake. We need to rush to their side and to help them. It says, who are spiritual should restore him, in verse 1. I know that some people don't understand what spiritual means. I really, I really know that. I know that some people think that they are spiritual by saying that uh, I have done so good in my life, I have done this and done that. And uh, I think that some people misunderstand what being spiritual is. Uh, being spiritual is not standing back and saying that nobody can reach uh, as good as me and you put yourself up on the pedestal, and when somebody makes a mistake, you just condemn them, and you say, there's no way that they'll ever be as good as me because I'm spiritual. That's, that's not spiritual. We've already looked at the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> if you, you've got to have these nine things going on in your life to really be spiritual in your life. And, and we prefer, in cer certain ways, we want to condemn them. If they've just been caught in the act, how often do we want to condemn somebody? 
I've even caught myself, and hey, my wife doesn't have to get uh, embarrassed by this, but we'll hear about somebody making a big mistake that's a Christian. We'll say, well, we just, how'd they do that? How, how could they do these things? Instead of rushing to them, to call them, to email them, to text them, to, to reach out to them and show them love, instead, we'll just talk about it. I don't know. I don't know. How'd they mess up that bad? How'd they do this? I thought they were Christians. In fact, we, as some Christians may want to rather just beat them. <laughs> but God says to love them. But God says to have compassion to them. God says to restore them, is what it says in Scripture, to restore them. Come on now. I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, I don't know, Zach. We, we may not want to restore folks. I, I've heard some, some, some crazy tales and some crazy stories, but so many people proudly consider themselves to be spiritual when they're far from it. We're not spiritual like we need to be. The spiritual ones need to go to Him and help Him. The spiritual ones, the ones that don't condemn, the ones that love, the ones that beyond anything we see straight to them, and the ones that are truly spiritual will have the fruit of the Spirit, which we've already addressed. If you're truly spiritual, you will restore them instead of condemning them. You will help them instead of condemning them. Instead of hurting them with words, you will help them. Now, the word restore here is karatizo, I believe which means to restore, which to mend the net, which is to set a broken leg. You could use it in a lot of different ways. Uh, but it is to help them and mend them and help them get to where they need to be back. Uh, Vernon McGee, which is Dr. Vernon McGee, he used to tell a story, and I've seen it on videos, I've seen it in writings, where he talks about a preacher friend that was an alcoholic. And the alcoholic friend, he, uh, he got saved and he started preaching. He started pastoring a church. Church was doing great. He got so stressed out, what did he do? He went back to what he used to do, and one night he went out and bought a bunch of beer. He went home. He got drunk. He felt so guilty that the very next day he called all of his deacons, all the people over the church, into a meeting, and in that meeting he resigned. He said, I cannot be pastor of this church. I got drunk last night. He said, I went back to my old ways, and I cannot do it. And surprisingly, one of the men within the group went to him. He said, we're going to pray about this. Went to him and he prayed with him. The whole group prayed with him. They sat back down. They did not allow him to put in his resignation. They said, there's no way that we're going to let one little mess up, one little backslide, one little mistake, define your ministry. You have come to us. You have asked for forgiveness. We forgive you. We prayed with you. We can see that you're earnest. We're done. You made a mistake. Isn't that surprising that we hear stories like that? I know uh, of certain situations where, buddy, somebody messed up, the whole county knew about it, and they had to resign and get out of town, had to move. There's people driving by their house doing obscene things and being ugly to somebody because of one little mistake that popped up from their past that they went right back to. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody. Understand that. I'm trying to help us understand that we have to love God and love His people, and the Bible says to go and restore them, to help them. We will be tempted, though. Someone, it says, you may also be tempted, in verse 1. Someone has stumbled and broken that leg, and we are to restore and reset the leg. Now, we are to be careful, because what can we do when we step off into that forbidden path and mess up? We can mess up, too. 
If we're around something that does not need to be, we need to be around, yeah, we can make a mistake. We could get drugged down into it. But what it says in verse 2 that we are to carry each other's burdens. I want you to realize something about the flesh. The flesh says, I have to worry about me. Have y'all not heard that? In the business world, in any kind of world, even in the church world, I've heard, well, as long as it don't affect me, it's fine. Hey, as long as, hey, we're getting on to so-and-so, uh, you know, brother so-and-so made that mistake, but he needs to straighten up. Hey, it don't affect me. It does affect you. It does affect you. The, the way of the Spirit is to say, let's make it to heaven together. It is. Let's do this together. Let's love each other together. Not where somebody makes mistakes, you got to get out. You don't need to be part of this anymore. That's not how the gospel of Jesus operates. I have never seen where one of the disciples made a mistake, which how many times can we find a disciple making a mistake in Scripture, and Jesus shows up and says, Hey, you need to get out of here. We can't have this. Peter, you cut off a guy's ear. How can you follow me? Uh, Peter, you, you did this. You need to go on. Thomas, you doubted. Uh, how could you truly follow me? You don't find that in Scripture. And Jesus goes to them and helps them. He mends what's broken. He helps what is broken. And he says, we have to carry each other's burdens. Sometimes people will fall. You know your pastor's going to fall? You know that? You know that I probably fall weekly, daily, if not an hour outside in the parking lot when i got to get the kids in the car, <laughs> when i got to snatch them out of Leah's hands? <laughs> that's, that's funny. But I'm falling mentally. <laughs> We make mistakes. We fall. We need other people to help us to, to love each other. We probably don't have a pew that people live a perfect life. We don't. And I don't expect anybody to. But we have to help each other. We're supposed to lend a helping hand. And some people would attempt to take advantage of that situation. To call them out. To not help them. Verse 5 rules that out. Verse 4 and 5 it says, But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Boy, I love that. I'll, I'll read that a verse to you again. It says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Praise the Lord. The Bible tells us to help each other out. But praise the Lord. But the one that does it on his own, the one that proves himself, will have rejoicing in his own. Isn't it good to know that when we fall and Jesus helps us out of that old Mari pit, out of that, out of that despair, out of those issues, that you have rejoicing in yourself and you won't have to worry about rejoicing with somebody else? It's good. But then it gets verse 5. It says, For every man shall bear his own burden. Each one of us has to carry our own load. Paul's been writing to the, book, uh, to the church of Galatians here. All these issues, are you legalistic? All these problems, do you not hear yourself? Don't act like a fool. <laughs> he gets to that. And the fruit of the Spirit is this. And now he gets to this and he's really, truly showing them that you are going to have to carry these things on your own. You've made mistakes. You've heard these things. You've accepted certain things. You're going to have to assume your own responsibilities. I can't make you do it. I can't make you be good. If I could stand up here every Sunday and preach a certain way and preach a certain scripture, you're going to be good every week. Guess what? I'd hit that every Sunday. <laughs> but it ain't, going, it ain't going to work. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't help a lot of times. Uh, people must assume their own responsibilities. It uses the word burden in verse, both verses 2 and 5. However, Paul uses two separate words in the Greek. Uh, the first one he uses in verse 2 is baros, 
which means heavy, burdensome, weighty, which we can understand. It's just a heavy burden that we're toting. But in verse 5, he uses the word fortune, which means to carry. The difference between a cargo luggage and a carry-on luggage. Y'all ever thought about that, a carry-on? It's very easy to think about something large and something small, but why would you carry on a plane? You don't want to carry something monstrous onto a plane. That's called cargo. Okay? When you have cargo, you've got to have somebody come in there and help you. It's got to go through a conveyor belt. You've got to have somebody tote that thing out there. It's going to be put on a plane in the bottom of it. When you get there, it's got to be taken off. You've got to have a lot of people involved with cargo. When you have a big issue, a big problem, the church, you need help. You can't handle that on your own. I can't, I can't literally get out there and drive that car around and put my luggage on the right plane and do all that work. And, and I can't do that. It's not feasible. As a church today, we have to realize that we cannot handle big issues on our own. And a lot of times the issues are bigger than we really think. A lot of times I'm trying to carry on my, uh, my cargo, my put in the bottom of the plane cargo as carry on, and they don't let that happen. <laughs> I try to sneak it through. Well, I'm about an inch big. Maybe it'll get... No, it doesn't work that way. We think that we can get it on there, but it don't work. We have to have somebody to help us. There are physical burdens. There are financial burdens. There are social burdens. There are things that other people have to help us with. But then there are burdens, as it's talking about here in this particular piece of Scripture, that are more like a carry-on burden. Which What, what does that mean, preacher? It says, yeah, they're, they're these small little things that we need help with, but you can handle these on your own. You need to pray. You need to fast. You need to, to seek out help. You need to study. No one can be 100% responsible for you but you. You have issues that you need to be praying for that you need to seek out God's help with. In verse 6, this is always a subject that I've already said. I like to skip certain verses, <laughs> but I won't skip verse 6. Verse 6, I'm going to read it in three different translations because some people skip this and they don't see it. The KJV says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. The NIV says, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. The NLT, which is the New Living, says, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing good things with them. Paul puts it real bluntly. And that's so you should pay your preacher. That's what he says in Scripture here. If someone ministers to you spiritually, you should minister to him materially. If you get bread and you go to the checkout and you don't pay for it, you're stealing from that blessing. If you're getting groceries at WM Grocery and you go down to Perryland and pay Perryland for what you get from WM, that don't make a whole lot of sense, does it? There are some people that get fed... Uh, by the church and at the church, and they'd rather go home and send money to TBN, which is the Trinity Broadcasting Network. I don't care if that hurts your feelings. Paul says if you are getting ministered to, you should take care of your minister. Now, once again, I like to skip over that because I don't like talking about that kind of stuff, but it's here. The Word of God says that we are to share with those who minister to you. And the big question of that is, is should we pay a preacher? I know churches that do not pay their preacher. I know churches that do. This has been an age-old debate, and some occultists will accuse paid ministers of being hirelings. They will. I've heard of people that, yeah, they like to bring them in and have them itching ears. And throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul defends the idea of paid ministers, and meanwhile, he explains why he chose not to receive funds from them because they were young, they were immature, and they were selfish. 
Paul insists those who minister to the special needs of the flock should be what? Supported by their flock. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained they, that they which spread the gospel should live of the gospel. We also know that Paul accepted offerings from other churches so he could minister at Corinth. 2 Corinthians eleven eight says this. It says this in the NIV. It says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. So we are showed here that Paul points out you should take care of your ministry. You should also plant good seed. 7 and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever the man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, it says a man reaps what he sows. That's a pretty big truth. It's very obvious to everybody in here. I believe most of us have probably uh, dealt with a garden or, or done something in a garden over your time. You've seen gardens grow, and it's pretty easy to understand that you reap what you sow. If you plant a bunch of trash, you're going to get a bunch of trash. If you don't plant anything, you're going to get a bunch of weeds. Okay. If you plant corn, you typically get corn. If you plant wheat, you typically get wheat. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is the law of the harvest. You plant seed and they reproduce according to their kind. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, it shows us that this, these seeds yield the same thing that they're planted with. So it doesn't just refer to money. It doesn't just refer to, to certain things. It refers to a very large emphasis that's even flesh and the spirit. Sowing to the flesh brings destruction. The basic instinct, I want you to think about this church, the basic thing that we want to do in life is to be selfish and to self-preserve. We do. That's a basic instinct. We want to survive. We want to do good. We want to financially be uh, independent. We want to uh, be able to do certain things in our life. We want to be preserved. We want to live <laughs> and continue to live. No matter what we face, uh, we want to be able to succeed personally. And this large emphasis here is a clash between the spirit and the flesh. And those who follow sinful nature will be too selfish to share. But the basic instinct of the spirit, if we back up to the last chapter, is love. The very first thing we covered was love. And a lot of times we seek to please the spirit and we try to produce the spirit's fruit, but we're too busy doing other things. We get sidetracked. The last two verses of Scripture that we'll cover is verse 9 and verse 10. And it tells us to be a do-gooder. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do not become weary. It means don't get tired, don't get careless, uh, don't be looking. A lot of people, and I'll say this, we're very guilty of looking to the end of something. That's what we do as Christians today. We look to the end of the service. We look to the end of Sunday school. We look to the end of the singing. Uh, when is these things going to end? Uh, we're going to look to the end of revival when we start on Sunday. We'll look to Wednesday to where that's going to end. And as a church today, we are so guilty of that. I get to work and I think about when 4 o'clock is going to get there because that's the end of my day and I get to get out of there. We are guilty at looking to the end to see something end. But as Christians today, we should be looking to where things are going to start again. 
Oh, where are we going to do something again? Where can we grow again? Where can we go again? I've been looking at Galatians. This is week 13, if you haven't counted. Week 13 in Galatians, and next week will be week 14. And I have been guilty of looking to week 14 and saying, I'm going to be done with that. But in reality, I should be saying, where am I going to go next? Where am I going to be studying next? Where am I going to be preaching from next to help our church? We have to be looking for a harvest time, a proper time. And there is a a proper time for a harvest. And that's when God in His own wisdom fulfills His promise. God is good to us. Compassion fatigue. Has anybody heard that? Compassion fatigue? That's a new word. You get so tired of doing good. I'm, I'm, I can promise y'all, y'all ain't doing enough good to get tired of doing good. Some of y'all are grinning. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to do good once, once I got to get Leela in the car in a minute. I'm already going to be on that downward spiral. Going home. The Bible tells us to do good and to continue to do good and love each other and just continue to do it. And some people have the, have the explanation that they're just tired of doing good all the time. And uh, I think that we're not even close to that. I don't understand how somebody could think that. People get uh, unstrung. They have to stay strong as a way of a bow. You think about an archer and a bow. He's got that bow strung up. He's going out shooting that bow and, and doing certain works. When he gets done, he unstrings the bow because you can't leave the string in the bow. That's a lot, a lot of Christians do that. They'll get home and they'll take the string out of the bow and they'll set that bow to the side and then Sunday morning will come around and have me string this bow back up. I've got to get back into being a Christian or going to church or, or being a brother and sister again. And people get tired of, of doing good. Paul wrote, let us not become weary in doing good. Can we really get tired of doing good? My my family and my wife she she gets annoyed because uh, when I go through drive-throughs and uh, I pick at her about it and she knows that I do it and I do it when nobody's with me it doesn't matter but I'm always really chipper I'm not a real chipper guy understand that I'm not always this way some of our lives yeah he's not really all yeah I'm chipper when I go through a drive-through because I know they're having a horrible day I know that uh, some people are not nice when they go through the drive-through so I just say hey you know and I give them my credit card and by the time that I leave they're grinning they're almost laughing they're having a good time my son gets so embarrassed when I do that he said daddy why are we? you don't know them I know son but I love them I know, son, but well, I look at this scripture here, and I'm just trying to do good. I can't go in there and witness to them and win them to Christ in a drive-through line. But if I go through there and I'm nice enough, maybe their day will get better. Uh, maybe they'll be lifted up by the goodness from me. Maybe, maybe giving them a grin. They didn't have nothing to smile about all week long until I went through that line acting a fool. Uh, acting like, yeah, I'll take whatever you give me here. They start to repeat more back. Now I trust you here. Here, hey, take my money. Can we love people like that? I'm not saying I'm always happy in the drive-thru line. Every now and then I get a little annoyed when I get my order on. But it's besides the point. Can we love people even beyond certain things? Can we continue to love people? Can we have a smile on our face? Can we embrace people, love people, and just you know, be, just be fun? Now, you, know, you, know, you know God's people are supposed to be fun, right? You know that we've got the best promise in the whole world, right? And Paul's saying, hey, y'all can't be tired of being good. Are y'all tired of being nice? <laughs> Are y'all tired of being loving? Are y'all tired of uh, helping people? Are y'all tired of lifting people up out of the gutter? There is no better feeling in our entire lives than helping other people. And we, you're getting tired of it? Well, let's become weary in doing good. 
let us not become weary. Excuse me. Let us do good to all people. Instead of looking for somewhere to quit, like I've already said, we look for a new place to start. Paul says we ought to be do-gooders. Doing good to all people is a symptom of the fruit of the Spirit. If you just overly nice all the time, it's because of God in you. It is. While the sinful nature is eager to remove names from the benevolence list, the Spirit's nature, love, kindness, goodness, is always ready to add more. Who can we add on to doing good to? And then he ends it with this particular thought. You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to be good to everybody. But you're supposed to be exceptionally good to who? Each other. Right here. We're supposed to be good to each other. I'm supposed to be good to you. I'm not supposed to snap at you, be mean to you. I'm not supposed to, you know, write ugly things or, or whatever. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to love y'all. I hope that y'all love me. And you probably don't love me all the time, and that's understandable. But I love y'all most of the time. God tells us to love each other. Paul says we ought to be do-gooders and we ought to walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced and then we are going to do good when we're walking in the Spirit. You will do good for all men, especially y'all. Especially, hey, look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you. Y'all supposed to be good to each other. There is no exceptions. Paul writes for us to be good, to be good to each other, to be good to everybody, to use this fruit and to love on people. He goes on and he, into this chapter here, he sort of changes directions back to focusing on getting rid of that legalism. But at this point, Paul has wrote out, hey, don't be a bunch of fools. You know how to behave. You need to be doing these things in your life. And you really, really need to love each other. The whole world's against us, folks. It is. The whole world is against us. If I could ever preach it to you, i preach it to you every Sunday. The world is against us. They are. I don't have to turn on the TV to know it. I don't have to... You didn't got to go very far to talk about Jesus and people start getting offended. You don't have to go very far talking about love and people start getting offended. You don't have to go very far and telling people about church service this morning and people will start getting offended. Love each other. That's what Paul's trying to say. Paul's already addressed all these issues. Now he's telling, hey, y'all need to love each other. As I get a verse of some song ready this morning.